Welcome to the Move to Heal Project podcast. Really excited to be chatting with Aaron today. If this is your first time tuning in, we're really excited that you're here. Let's just hop right into it. I guess for some context, Aaron, I connected with you, I think over social media, Mm -hmm. uh, initially, like maybe a year ago. And so it's just been, you know, a process to meet and connect. So first want to say thank you so much for taking, for taking the time. Just before we just navigate into the story, do you want to let everyone know where you're from? I always like to do a little questionnaire, like what's your favorite color? What's your favorite song to listen to right now? Or is there a book that you're reading or listening to? So I'm originally from Maine. And then after my accident happened, I stayed in Boston. And then I moved to Florida a couple months ago. I'm 25. My favorite color is pink. And I'm not really reading anything right now. I did just reread all the Harry Potter books because I love books. (laughs) I love Harry Potter so much. (laughs) I actually listened. I listened to all the audio books, which are really good. They have Harry Potter on audio? Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I love that. And I honestly, it's so surprising and nice to connect with other people who love Harry Potter. There's so many people. Segwaying back. I love all of those things. I had a feeling that your favorite color was pink. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I got a pink wheelchair when I first got my power chair. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, this doesn't match all the outfits I have. So then I, when I got my manual chair, I just got a black one. (laughs) I mean, maybe using that as a segue to, as to why we're here today and why we're here to connect and chat on July 11th, 2017. Yep. Okay, so how how would you describe your life before July 11th, 2017? Like, what would a typical day look like? Or what was your friend group like? So I was in college. I was a junior in college. I was just finishing because I was going to summer. Basically, I just turned 21. So I just started going to bars a lot and all that. I had a lot of friends in Maine. So in the summer, I'd come home in Maine and I worked as a waitress six days a week and I worked at like a camp so I would live there and then I would do we would do like a breakfast lunch dinner thing so Mm. I worked a lot so that's pretty much like what I did in the summer and then at that September I was supposed to go abroad to England and so I'm sad that I didn't get to do that but (laughs) it's all right so waitressing at nighttime and then camp during the day or yeah basically as a waitress all day but it was like we'd have breaks so like the campers would come and like breakfast, lunch, dinner. Mm-hmm. It was families. So they were super nice. And you have the same family for two weeks. Oh, so that's it, so it was really nice. cool. yeah. Same, but a little bit different. I was a waitress for a really long time. And I also worked at a camp uh, in a different capacity, but mm-hmm. it's a neat way to meet people and to like form different yeah. kinds of connections with families and individual people too. But so you're 21, working a lot, planning mm-hmm. on going abroad. Yeah. For one semester, my senior year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as much as you want to describe, I mean, what happened on July 11th, or maybe just taking me through that day. I was seeing Jack, who we're still dating, but we were not really official yet, but we were hanging out that whole semester at school. And then it was summer and I was like, oh, you should come to Maine. I came to Maine and then I really wanted to see him again before this started because I was going abroad. 
So he lived in Pennsylvania and my brother had an apartment in Boston. So I was like, let's just meet there. It's like three hours for both of us. So we met there and up on the roof of my brother's apartment in the North end, he had um, like a hammock tied to a chimney and the other side tied to a wall. And he went up there every night. And basically he was like, Oh, you, you guys want me to set the hammock up, whatever. And we were like, yeah, like, well, Jack didn't want to, but I was like, yeah. <laughs> and um, I sat on the hammock side and Jack, sat, when he sat on the other side, the extra weight made the chimney collapse just onto me, like on my upper body. And so basically it like shifted my spinal cord at the C5, C6 level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With the chimney collapsing, like obviously someone's calling an ambulance or... So I actually don't remember anything until they lifted me off the roof with like the fire truck. I guess I was awake the whole time, but I must have blacked it out, which was super weird. And then I remember being lifted down, but I didn't know what was happening. They had me on a stretcher. We went to the hospital. I remember getting to the hospital before surgery, before I was like medicated. My family was there and my brother was like hugging me and Jack. I had no idea what was going on. And I pretty much don't remember anything once I was medicated for like three weeks. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that's due to the intensity of the injury, obviously. And and all the, and all the medication. And all the medication. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. So in that time frame, or when you were coming off some of the medications or maybe just becoming aware of what had happened, Mm -hmm. what was that shift like? I was in a lot of pain. I had a lot of surgeries and I hurt my shoulder pretty bad. So like, that was kind of my main focus. I was like, always in pain and they had to roll me and stuff like that so I was more like stressed all the time like I didn't realize that I couldn't walk like I would be like oh can you just let me stand for a minute like Mm -hmm. I would say that all the time and my doctors didn't want to tell me because they would supposedly they my mom would tell me every day and I'd forget so they stopped telling me because they were like she's not gonna remember tomorrow so they didn't tell me until like the third week when I was on less medication basically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and my sister ended up reading like the GoFundMe and basically my injury. And like, I don't know, I didn't cry. Like I didn't, I didn't know anything about spinal cord injuries either. So I was just like, okay, like, you know, you still go to rehab, like I'm going to walk out of here. Like, yeah, that's what you think. And some people do like very few, but that's kind of what everyone says. Like when everyone's there, like I'm going to walk out of here and like almost no one does, you know? Yes. And I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know her. And thank you for, again, for taking the time to sit down with me and and talk to me about this and everyone else that's going to be listening in the future. But I imagine that due to the nature of the accident, it would take quite some time to adjust to, like there's just so much happening where it's the first, the realization Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm guessing on this, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but I would almost see it in layers. Like the first layer might be, okay, I'm in the hospital, not really understanding what's going on. And then the second layer might be, okay, well, what's happening? And there's a third layer of like, why can't I just get up? And then confusion around that, especially if there's memory loss or a little bit of fogginess around what's happened. And then- maybe a few more layers after that of just like, how is my life going to change or how has it already changed? Yeah. And I think I didn't even think about that stuff until like two months into into rehab after I left the hospital, because first I was just thinking I'm in pain. And then second, I was thinking, 
I can't move because I couldn't move my arms. I can now, but I couldn't when I was in the hospital. So I was just like, you know, I'd be like, oh, mama, can you scratch my nose? Like just little things. Like I couldn't, I had um, a trach. That's why I have a scar here. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was on the vent. So I actually couldn't talk for a month. So I couldn't talk, drink or eat. I was on the feeding too. So just like all those things, you don't even really think about walking or any of the other big things, you know? In my mind, it would be like the brain is just focusing on survival, like in that moment and all the things that are connected to just simply going moment to moment. So it's not like, oh, next week or next month or next year. It really is just like, how can I get through? I mean, on a subconscious level, like how can I move through into the next minute or into the next uh, 10 minutes, really? Exactly. It seems like, and this is me just making a judgment based on what I know about you through the video that I saw that prompted me to reach out to you, but it seems as though there has been an incredible amount of support. Um, Yeah. And I don't know, I just think in the wake of something that seems so horrific and and challenging and traumatic that that support component is really important and I just wanted to speak to that and say like yeah yeah it's hard because you get so much support when you're for the first like three months in the hospital and then you see all of those friends kind of drop off not all of them but most of them and you're like okay like where's all my friends like what's going on and then you really only have kind of like three or four good friends that actually stay by your side. And then obviously my family was great. So I felt really lucky for that. But I did go back to college six months after. And it was hard because I thought some of my friends would be better than they were. And they just don't understand the extent of the injury too. You know, like it was just tough. I can imagine that it might be split. Like some people might back off because they're afraid yeah. Like maybe there's no verbiage beyond that fear, but just the fear of, I don't want to say the wrong thing, or I don't know, like people always make everything about themselves. So what if I say something wrong, or I don't know how to support them. But I think sometimes people in general too are afraid of, of trauma. They're afraid of it all and they want to stay away from it. Mm-hmm. And it would be hard to, I'm thinking about this from my own perspective, but like, hard to kind of wrap your head around that shift in friend support uh, because things looked a certain way before and then now they look different. Yeah, and I always tell people like the friends that are the most supportive are usually the ones that you won't expect for me at least and for most other people I've talked to in the situation. Like they'll be like, oh, like I didn't know like these people would step up and be so great and that my best friends would just be gone. And it's like, it's sad, but it's also, you realize who your true, true friends are, which is cool. I'm almost thinking that it's, it, it's kind of like a filter in a way where yeah. what has happened has happened. And then like, who is, who is left behind that's still, you know, yeah, going to stand with you in, in solidarity and going to stand with you in strength. And it's a lot. <laughs> it is, it is. But I'm just going to say like, it gets easier. I think it's just hard at first. Cause like you try to keep making those friendships work where the other person's not reciprocating it. But then over time, you're just like, okay, I'm just going to put effort into the people that are putting effort into me. So 
I feel like that the first like year or two is the hardest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And outside of the friend group, what else shifted? Because you go to physiotherapy? Yep. Physiotherapy. And then you were able to return back to school, but then it almost seems like it would be a relearning of everything that you thought you once knew. Uh, It was really hard because I needed help with everything. Like I couldn't dress myself. I couldn't go to the bathroom shower. I couldn't, I mean, I don't have finger function. So like I was an English major, like writing essays, like writing like 15 page papers on my iPad with a stylus, which Mm -hmm. was really hard at first. Like my first paper, I was like, this is so bad. Like I knew it was bad, but my teachers were great. They let me rewrite stuff, but just like a learning process and it was tough, but my mom was there because I, I was going to hire a PCA and I was like, eh, they let my mom come do it. So mom, yeah, she was great. (laughs) And Jack was there too. And then my brother went to college with me grade below me. So he helped a lot too. Yes. Sounds like a lot of family support. And then Jack, who I, I would just include as your family now. Yeah. Like, yeah. So for everyone that's listening, Jack, you had started dating uh, right before. Uh, yeah, we started dating June 13th of that year. So when the injury happened, I basically was like, you don't have to stay. Like, don't stay because you feel bad, you know? We didn't even know if we were going to date when I went abroad just because it's long distance. And he was great. He was like, nothing's going to change. Like, I, I want I want to stay. And He's still here almost four years later. So Jack seems like a good man. (laughs) What I'm also interested in, there's the obvious of like the relearning that needs to happen relationally and then relearning that needs to happen like in your own body. Mm -hmm. I don't know if relearning is the right verbiage to you. Uh, Yeah, relearning and just adapting, I think too. Yeah, it's pretty much relearning everything. You have to do everything differently. So, and you just have to accept that some things you might not be able to do. Yeah. And I think for me, as someone from the outside, like looking in, what I think about a lot is like, what's the narrative that's happening internally? And I, I feel like that's where I would struggle the most is just trying to find the verbiage to encourage yourself to keep going forward or to keep or to keep uh, learning or to keep to stay motivated like I I just imagine that that would be so challenging and obviously support systems can help with that but at the end of the day like you're the one in your Mm -hmm. own body and you're the one in your own mind you're the one that's waking up to your own thoughts every day yeah and that is the part that I'm maybe the most curious about is I just feel like you have an incredible amount of internal resilience or like I have an incredible amount of that like internal dialogue to keep going forward yeah yeah I think I think about it's hard in the beginning because you're in a lot of pain so it's more like pushing through the pain and then as it, as you're in less pain it's more like okay just don't let yourself get in your head don't let yourself get depressed was my thing like I was like as long as I at least every other day, like do something, go to therapy, get out, go shopping, I don't know, whatever, see friends. As long as I did that, I was fine. I mean, there was definitely days where I'd stay home for a weekend and be like, this isn't good for my mental health. Mm-hmm. You also sometimes do have to let yourself just, I literally, when I first injured, was taking like two naps a day. And I was like, 
am I going to be like this forever? But my body was just recovering. And I just, you don't realize like how much your body stones shock for so long. Mm -hmm. I think too, there's probably a huge grief component there as well. I was talking to my doctor about grief a few months ago, and she mentioned that grief and depression can look the same. Yeah. Uh, And I imagine that there would just be, yeah, of course, grief involved in something like this, like grieving the loss of what you once Mm -hmm. had, whether that be, I mean, whatever that might be. So that makes sense to me that there was that period. Yeah. And I I don't think it ever like goes away, just kind of comes in waves and just kind of have to be like, okay, like this is a day where I'm just going to, you know, miss walking, miss doing this. And you just have to go through it and then try to be okay again is what I tried to do. Yeah, I think it's like an honoring versus trying to avoid it. And it's something that I, I think about a lot in a different context as well. It's just like, it's so easy to, I think it's easy to stay in like an avoidance yeah. mindset <laughs> versus, I mean, this is separate, but I, I do a lot of client work and a lot of people are like, just tell me how to heal or like, tell me how to get better. And you have to feel your feelings, yes. you know, like create safety around feeling them and yeah. learn that vulnerability of maybe sharing those feelings with others. Mm-hmm. It's all part of it, but putting off feeling those things. <laughs> yeah. <You> know, like <laughs> avoidance is strong, but I think eventually you have to get to that place where you are doing exactly as you said, where it's like just creating the yeah. space to like feel sad or creating the space to grieve or creating the space to, you know, what, whatever that might be. And I, yeah. I think again, like in a very different context, I was talking to my therapist about this, but like so much of healing is about learning how to manage your reactions. It's not about eliminating the reactions. It's just learning how to manage how things arise as you move forward and knowing that they might continue to arise. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like you have so much natural (laughs) resilience, not even natural resilience, because, but I just, it seems like you have so much internal strength to pull from. Yeah, and I definitely think my friends and family have helped. And then some other stuff that helps is I would I used to peer mentor. So I would like go and see people at rehab that were just injured. And so through that, I would also make friends with people that had the same injury. And that was really helpful because you just talk to them. I talked to so many people on Instagram that I don't know just about our injuries, giving each other advice and like that. It really does help. So Well, this is maybe why support groups are such a big thing in the Mm -hmm. mental health sector is because injuries, mental health, traumas can feel so isolating. Yeah. And of course, there are people that want to understand and work to understand. But then sometimes there are people that even though they're working and wanting to understand, they just won't, they won't get it because it hasn't happened to them. Yeah. And so I feel like then a support group where it's under this umbrella of Mm -hmm. spinal cord injuries, there is that shared understanding or things that you don't even have to say, you just know. Yep. That would probably help a lot. It definitely does. Yeah. And there's a psychiatrist that I really love. Her name is Judith Herman. She does a lot of work in and around trauma. And she always says 
we, we don't heal in isolation. We heal in community. Yeah. And I think that like definitely applies here. Yeah. On that notion, do you have people reaching out to you on socials where they maybe have experienced an incident that left them as a quadriplegic and now they're looking for support and advice from you? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's funny because when you're first injured, you're the one reaching out to all these people that have been injured. And then two years later, you're getting all the same messages. So it's really cool because I'm like, I know exactly how they're feeling. And, you know, cause I did, I did it too. Like I love to respond to everyone and help them as much as I can. And it's cool because it's people from all over the world, you know? Yes. yes. And I was having this conversation with a friend a few days ago about, I don't believe that things happen for a reason at all. Like my argument would be that people that have experienced something that is very traumatic, life-changing, it's a strength to choose to derive meaning that you can give someone else, or I don't know if meaning is the right word, but it's just a strength to be able to take what has happened to you and share advice with someone else. I just think it's, it takes an incredible amount of strength to be able to talk to other people and say, I hear you and I see you. I'm like here to hold space for you, offer you guidance. Yeah. I just think that what you've experienced is so, is beyond challenging and beyond yes. life-changing and beyond traumatic. And so the point that I'm trying to land on is the fact that you can sit here and say to me that now you're helping other people in times that might feel quite dark for them. I think it's just a testament to the work that you've done on yourself and the work that you've continued to do and a testament to the way that you've learned how to support yourself throughout all of this. And I just really want to emphasize that. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's, and it, and it helps me, like, when I can help other people or talk to them, like, it makes me feel better, too, which is, like, a, just a bonus, I feel like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess under that notion, has there been anything that has changed as a result of the accident that has surprised you, or? Um, I think just, well, the biggest thing would be realizing how inaccessible everything is. And then not only that, but just it really opened opened my eyes to all of the different kind of disabilities out there. Like, I was just like, wow, like I was so not even clueless, but it's like, I just didn't, I guess I didn't care. I didn't, it didn't matter because I didn't know anyone with a disability. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it really opened my eyes to just learning about other disabilities and then realizing how every spinal cord injury is different is huge too, because I didn't know, like I'd see someone in a wheelchair and just be like, Oh, like, I didn't know what, like, Oh, that person can't move their hands or can they only not move their legs? Like I never thought about that stuff. Yeah. It's just, it's really interesting. Yes. I am as mentioned several times previously, like I am someone that has minimal knowledge when it comes to spinal cord injuries. Mm -hmm. Is there a place like a comprehensive website or a book or a place that um, uh, might be useful for me to, or anyone else that's listening, that's kind of in the same boat as me where we might learn more. Um, I think they're like, if you look up the Reeves foundation, like Christopher Reeves, who was a quadriplegic, their whole website explains pretty much everything about spinal cord injuries, but 
I think the other thing, if you have like Instagram or TikTok or anything, is just to follow people that have the injury because then you really, it, it shows you like people's personal like experiences, which is, has helped me learn about other disabilities. And so I just like, now everyone I follow is like pretty much disabled, but that's just because it's interesting to me now. But I think like for even able-bodied people, it's good to just, if you follow like a few people with disabilities, just to learn more, you know? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put the Christopher Reeves foundation in the show yeah. notes. And then maybe if it's okay with you, your Instagram candle as well. <laughs> or yeah. you want, you're on TikTok, right, Erin? Yeah, I don't, I don't post that much, but I'm going to try to post more. And now that I'm in Florida. TikTok is just like also a strange platform to navigate together. But I think too, like on the, on the notion of being able-bodied, just to speak to the Move to Heal project, the name in and of itself, this is something that I thought about after I reached out to you was the name itself is not taking into account that some people can't move their entire bodies. And it made me, or it continues to make me just look through things under a different lens, or I want to learn more so that I can Mm -hmm. educate myself then maybe through the site, help educate others, but just want to speak to that in the sense of like, I want to make sure the site is accessible and like we're Mm -hmm. having these conversations that feel accessible. Yeah. And under that notion in regards to your own mental health journey, Mm -hmm. is there something that has helped you or continues to help you find healing? Well, I know a lot of people spinal cord injuries, they meditate and some people do yoga and I've done that, but I don't know, for me, I think just therapy, like physical therapy, working out or even at home, like doing my bike or like standing in my standing frame when I don't want to, like that really does make me feel better. Even Mm -hmm. though I'm like, I don't want to do it. Like it hurts or I'm tired, but I do feel better after. So it's like doing even the, the bare minimum, whatever you can do, whatever you're able to do, I think it does help or just getting outside and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you're in your power chair or do you have more than one chair I have a power chair and then I have a smaller power chair that I bought and then I have a manual chair that I got through insurance later like a couple of years later so in the power chair do you press a button and then it moves on its own yeah, so my big power chair has like a joystick to drive and okay. it's nice because I can pressure relief, like I can lean back. It's like really comfortable, but it sucks because people treat you different in a power chair. Like they think I have like a brain injury when I'm in my power chair. I go out, like people won't talk to me. They'll talk to them with, it's so weird because you've got in a manual chair and like people just assume you have a total different diagnosis and it's annoying. But the biggest reason I got in my manual chair is just to, to be more active but yeah, it's definitely more comfortable in the power chair, but it's also easier to get around in the manual chair because it's smaller. <laughs> and the power chair is the one with, it has like a head. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I definitely know what a power chair is. And I think you raised a point that I honestly never would have thought about, but it makes sense that there would be that difference in perception from the public or like people yeah. that don't know where they're just automatically categorizing you yeah yes and, and I think just going back to that notion of like isolation I imagine that that might feel frustrating 
I don't even know if frustrating is the right word beyond frustrating or like maybe feeling like people are misunderstanding, just making a judgment call. Yeah. When I would be my, with my mom, who would be like, oh, can she speak? Stuff like that. It's like, why don't you just ask me? I don't know. You can never do any harm in asking that person first. And if they can't answer, you'll find out pretty quickly, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I always think. But I also, I try to think of like, I wonder how I would have seen someone like that before my injury. Because I don't know. Like, I can't remember seeing anyone in a wheelchair. I'm sure I did, but I don't remember. Which is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm so passionate about talking about accessibility in many different forms, but honestly, even throughout this conversation, I'm noticing this is definitely something that I need to continue to educate myself on more because I don't know how I would be in a public space coming across someone in a power chair or a manual chair. I mean, Mm-hmm. It's been a while since anyone in Toronto has been like outside interacting because of right. that too, yeah. obviously the dynamic has changed, but right. I keep thinking about a person that did kind of shift things for me. So I used to work at Soul Cycle, which is an indoor cycling studio. And we had someone come in, in a power chair and he is honestly the friendliest person I think I've ever met, like always wanting to chat. And I'm not sure where he was visiting from, somewhere in the, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. He's like, I always ride at SoulCycle there, but I do need help getting out of my chair and getting onto the bike. So we were like, yeah, we got you. We'll help you, whatever you need. So we'd help him get onto the bike in the room. And then when he could, he'd lean forward on the bars and then bring a little movement into his legs. And I guess for me, like that was the first time where I was just thinking about things differently. Yeah. Maybe it was just a situation where I, I thought that I knew more and then I didn't. And then I was like, okay, I have to use this as a teaching moment. Yeah. Like, what can I learn from this? What can I take from this experience? And I think it's important that we work to continue to educate ourselves yeah. when it comes to accessibility in general, disability in general. Unfortunately, I don't know that everyone would share that lens. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that's where things might get frustrating from your standpoint, where you are interacting with people that are like, oh, can she speak? And I would be annoyed. I'd be like, (laughs) you're just like, I'm right here. Yeah. Hi. And then you have all those stores or places that have stairs and you'll call and you'll be like, are you wheelchair accessible? And I'll be like, oh no, but we've never had a wheelchair user. I'm like, that's because you're not wheelchair accessible. I'm like, that's why you don't have wheelchair users, but you would. That's, I don't know how they don't put that together, but. Yes. Okay. This is making me think of an interview that I listened to. There was a woman that had an accident. I want to say her name is Victoria ended up in the hospital and they thought that she was brain dead, but she, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I met, I've met her. Um, that's where I went to therapy her, the place she opened in Boston, it's in New Hampshire, but it's close to Boston. Um, her and her mom opened a gym and that's where I used to work out. What, what is her name? Um, Victoria Arlen. Yes. That's a weird full circle moment because (laughs) also Victoria Arlen spoke for SoulCycle and then that's where I heard and then now we're here. But 
Yeah, I remember hearing that story and just being like, that is insane because she spoke about how there was nurse abuse happening. She goes into detail about it in the interview. But for me as a listener, I was like, that's wild. You know, that that would be happening. And just listening to that alone kind of prompted me to be like, okay, you need to keep learning and educating yourself because again, now I'm just like going back to the point again, but I feel like that's probably something that you might, you might have moments with people that are like that day to day. I guess usually this is a segue to human interactions and chatting with other people. But if someone has recently had an accident or is maybe looking for support and they were to reach out to you, what might you say to them? Or if someone's listening? Usually people have specific questions, but a lot of questions I'll get is like, oh, how do you stay positive? And that's always hard for me because I'm like, I don't know. Like, like, I feel like the biggest thing is just to stay busy, try to be surrounded by people as much as you can. If not, talking to people online that are going through something similar. Find a hobby that you can do, something that you like. And then I think physical therapy in the beginning is big because even if you're not getting a crazy workout, like you're still getting out and talking to people. So it really is big for your mental health. Mm -hmm. It sounds like so much of that is human connection. Yeah. And so much of that is, again, what we were speaking about earlier is just that shared understanding Mm -hmm. or moving towards people that understand, I guess that's what a support group is, but (laughs) what are some of your favorite hobbies um I like to write poetry sometimes I have some a couple videos on YouTube of poems I've written but oh cool I might share more of them I don't know I just do it for fun Erin you said I write poetry too you do yeah yeah I I mean it's weird because I can't really write yet I'm not uh, my handwriting's horrible now but I'll like type it or voice like do it with my voice on my phone but that's pretty much what I do and then yeah I just like to like, I like to work out like I like to push my chair go on walks with my dogs and stuff like that mm-hmm. do you have a favorite poet I I don't really I listen to a lot of people on YouTube that do what's it called um spoken word yes yes so I love like, I love that. I don't really do that, but I want to be able to do that. I love it because it's so, they put so much like emotion into it. And I love that. Okay. So you should follow someone who does spoken word. So his poems are super whimsical. He's definitely like a different kind of poet, but he's so lovely. And since COVID started, he does spoken word on his Facebook. I think every week, his name is okay. Billy Collins. And he like comes into his study, sits down, there's a wall of books behind him. And then he just starts doing spoken word. But uh, I've read his poems since I was in high school. And yeah, whimsical is a good way of describing them. They start off one way and then they go a completely different way. But you should do, yeah, you should explore spoken word. I need to practice, but yeah, if I get good at it, I would, I would share it. I feel like it's not about being good or bad. It's just about your experience. It's like sharing what's on your heart. That's what I try and think about as a writer is try not to attach a label to it, to just be like, this is what feels right for me and I'm going to share it. 
but there definitely is vulnerability for sure around yeah I feel like I don't get sad when I write it but then when I actually try to do a video I'm like oh now I'm getting sad (laughs) so I'm like I try not to like I don't know so I gotta work on that if I want to share but there's there's a guy there's a guy that um who just won last year the last year's America's Got Talent his name's Brandon Leak and he does spoken word and he's really good Oh, cool. I didn't. So it's like the first person to ever win for poetry or spoken word, which was pretty cool. That's huge. Yeah. I love that. And I think it could be a really great outlet to, as a writer, I don't journal or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I feel weird about journaling, but it always feels different when I can verbalize something creatively. I guess. Or like it accesses a different layer of emotion, I guess, if I'm putting it into a poem. But I was going to say earlier, going back to when people reach out to you and just referencing staying positive, maybe it's not about staying positive. Maybe it's just about working to honor what's coming up for you in the best Mm -hmm. way that you can moment to moment. And poetry might be something that could be useful for that reason. And I know music helps a lot of people too. A lot of people I know, they're Mm -hmm. like, I have to listen to this type of music in the morning. Or my day's bad. And I'm like, at least you found something that helps. Mm-hmm. I think there's studies like connected to like endorphins and different kinds of music yeah. and, and stuff like that. But maybe just a reiteration, like everyone's different and maybe just yeah. to find what feels useful for you exactly. could be beneficial. But in the questions I had put, like, is there something inspirational or a quote that you keep going back to? But then that doesn't even... I don't know if that's even a good question because it seems yes. so menial and small. I feel like it's about so much more than just going back to one thing or like one quote, but. I yeah, um, I think, well, a, a quote that someone else made up that was paralyzed or half her body was paralyzed. She always said, I'm already in a miserable situation. Why be double miserable? And I always think that because I'm like, this already sucks. Why am I going to also mentally make it suck? It already physically sucks, you know? Mm-hmm. So you just have to really work on your mindset. And I know a quote that I always used to like was survive the rain, but use it to grow, you know, like realize, okay, this is going to make you stronger in the end. Or like anytime something bad happens, I literally just had to get surgery on my neck in November, which sucked. It was an eight week recovery out of nowhere. And I was like, this sucked, but like it made me stronger. So like, that's kind of how I try to look at things. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you came across your past self now, what do you think that would be like? Well, people are always like, what would, what would you say to your past self? And I feel like I would say, well, obviously, like, do as much as you can physically, you know, because I loved hiking and doing, like, I was an athlete, all that stuff. But then also, I think just, like, not letting the little things get to you, like, the silly things, and just kind of, like, live day to day. Don't be like, okay, in five years, I'm going to do this, because you don't know anything could happen. So it's it's okay to have goals, but I think to like plan your whole life out is silly. In a very, very different kind of way. By no means am I comparing our stories, but as a trauma survivor, I've experienced a, a lot of emotional trauma, physical trauma over an extended period of time. Yeah. But it's things that people can't see because it's all inside. And um, harder sometimes because they don't, people don't know, you know? Yeah. And I, this sounds so silly, but it's genuinely how I feel. 
I've just never been someone that's planned anything because Mm -hmm. I always felt even as a child, I just like had to survive. Yeah. I never dreamt about a wedding or like having children because it was never in hindsight. I was like, that's a luxury, I guess, to be able to think about those things because as a child, I was subconsciously just being like, I just need to get through this day. And so on that notion, going into adulthood, I never was a goal setter. I've never made plans because I always believed that something was going to be taken away from me. I just never hoped for anything because my life was really scary and sad. And I agree with you. I'm still not someone that sets goals because I think that life can change so fast. And it, it might be a little bit different for you, but where I work to find healing, I guess, really is in the present moment. Just yeah, li- living in the moment was like a big thing that I learned after my injury, definitely. I don't know where I was going with that point. Um, maybe tying that back to things can change so fast. Yeah. And so maybe just drawing awareness to what's happening right now. Who exactly. do we have around us right now? I'm really big on choice. We can't choose what happens to us, but we can choose how we respond, how we work to find support. We can choose to learn to encourage ourselves, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. Yeah. I like the, how you choose to respond because that it really is true. Like there are people that, especially with this injury that just are like, that my life's over and I'm just depressed and then they are and it's sad because you don't have to be you know that's what I've learned anyway Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you so much for taking the time to to share and for taking the time to meet and I just appreciate it so much for everyone that's listening thank you so much for joining us and as mentioned before I'll make sure to put Aaron's contact in the show notes and then everything else that we've mentioned in the show notes as well and thanks for being here really appreciate it